Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 4, the official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Wellington, have you seen this? Looks like another Canadian case. We get the most important files from Moose regularly. No, no, look at the name of the agent. Sinclair? Doesn't that ring any bells? While I could rattle off facts about the founding of the ministry, while I could name artifacts off the top of my head of cases dating as far back as 1874, and while I can name principal and secondary agents, I am terrible with names, Eliza. You know this. For an archivist, I find that rather unlikely. Well, I remember the names of the files much more easily since they are regular, functional. Oh, for goodness sake, Wellington. Just read the file. You'll see what I mean. Very well, eh? To Hide in Plain Sight Written and read by K.T. Brisky February 14th, 1890 University College Museum, Toronto, Canada Of all the curiosities in the university's museum, the skull caught Elizabeth's attention first. She stepped closer to the glass-fronted cabinet, holding her breath. The skull gleamed olive-brown in the light of kerosene lamps, perhaps sixty centimeters from its sharp, beak-like snout to the spurs of bone at its base. Even in death, its eyeless sockets glared at her. Furious. Shocked. And... hungry. Elizabeth decided the creature looked decidedly hungry. It was nothing but bones, after all. She suppressed a wry smile and turned once again to face Sir Daniel Wilson, president of Toronto's University College, curator of its on-site museum, and retired agent of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Impressive, she said. Sir Daniel dipped his head. Though well into his seventies, his eyes remained bright. A prodigious snowy beard puffed from his chin like a cloud. It quivered now with a smile of his own. Indeed, Mrs. Sinclair, but not the reason we require your services. No? She hovered over the next cabinet. More bones, arranged in neat rows, ribs and vertebrae and wickedly curving claws. More's the pity. Fossils are ever so fascinating. They're not fossils. Sir Daniel's eyes twinkled. Only a few decades old, collected during my time in the field. Elizabeth surveyed the bones with renewed interest. What sort of creature? A peculiar one. Sir Daniel turned away, moving to the window. A mix of sleet and rain pelted down outside. Elizabeth suppressed a shudder, glad she was within the university's thick stone walls. No, Mrs. Sinclair... Your skills as a spy mistress come highly recommended by my old friend, Dr. Basil Sound. 
Elizabeth took advantage of Sir Daniel's turned back to surreptitiously check her dress in the glass's reflection. Perfectly respectable, without drawing attention. Exactly as she'd been instructed. Good chap, Basil, she said. One of the few people in the ministry who knows about our... arrangement. I like working on the margins. So when the ministry needs me, they call me. But... You won't find me on the payroll, so to speak. As I thought then. Sir Daniel rapped the window once, then began pacing, striding between cases of coins and amulets. We had a theft, Sir Daniel began, three nights ago. A very old and valuable text, partly in Latin, mostly in an unknown language. A fairly brilliant linguistic student of mine is reconstructing those passages— his translation suggests a book of offices for the dead. We've been calling it the Dirge Book. Charming. Elizabeth glanced around the museum, mentally cataloguing possible exits and entrances. Was it housed here? No. In a locked case in the library's rare book room, on the other side of the college building. Sir Daniel stared past her, towards the display of bones. Tonight is our conversazione ball. Three thousand people are coming to dance, to see laboratory demonstrations, and to wander the halls of the university. So, it's a night when it might be perfectly plausible to wander down the wrong hallway. Elizabeth shook her head. Assuming such a mistake was even noticed. There are things within this university, Mrs. Sinclair, such that you cannot imagine. Things the Ministry prefers to keep at a safe distance. The dirge book may have been an opportunistic theft, but it has nevertheless revealed our vulnerability. Sir Daniel grimaced. We need someone to circulate, to probe, to watch from the shadows. Right. Well, first thing I'll want is to acquaint myself with your hallowed halls. Any assistance, or is this a solo operation? I have three young protégés for you. I may send them Basil's way when I'm done with them. He trailed off, stroking his beard with a thoughtful look. How is your daughter, Mrs. Sinclair? He said it mildly, but the words hit like a slap. Elizabeth feigned interest in a row of statuettes. South American, by the looks of them, with glinting rubies for eyes, like pools of blood in the lamplight. She traced a finger down the glass. She's well. It must be hard, Sir Daniel said softly. For both of you. Elizabeth said nothing. Hard did not begin to describe the feeling of shutting her daughter's bedroom door, changing into her respectable yet unremarkable dress, and stepping into the rainy night. Working for the ministry cost her dearly, in ways she hadn't anticipated. Fortunately, distraction arrived in the form of an eager knock at the door. It opened, revealing three young men. University students, maybe ten years younger than Elizabeth. Two came scrambling in, tripping over their dress shoes and barely avoiding a collision with the cabinets. The third trailed behind, peering at Elizabeth from behind thick spectacles. Your assistance, Mrs. Sinclair. Sir Daniel shook himself, giving the boys an appraising look. Gentlemen? This is Mrs. Elizabeth Sinclair, our safeguard this evening. Mrs. Sinclair, Archibald Pride and George Goodwin. The first two boys darted forth to shake Elizabeth's hand, 
The shorter of the two pushed a mop of brown blonde hair from his face and flashed an eager smile. Archie's fine, ma'am. And Julian Norwood, the aforementioned linguistic student. Come forward, Julian. The young man did so, pushing his glasses up his nose with a slim finger. I hear you're brilliant, Elizabeth said, shaking his hand. Julian's smile was small and solemn. I hear the same of you. Before Elizabeth could respond, Sir Daniel clapped once. The ball begins at eight. Until then, I suggest you inspect this building most carefully. Mrs. Sinclair, for the rest of the evening, you are Julian's cousin, visiting from Ottawa. Elizabeth considered that. The age gap was still plausible, and Julian's light blue eyes and fair skin matched her own. In the lamplight, they could pass. Let's get on with it, boys. I'd like to return home to my daughter before too long. George and Archie visibly startled at the word daughter, but Julian simply cocked his head. After a moment, he nodded and held the door open. As they exited the museum, Sir Daniel bowed. Good hunting, Mrs. Sinclair. So, Elizabeth began, as they descended the gleaming wooden staircase to the university's main hall. Your cousin, eh, Julian? Let's see. Should she be flighty and bubbly, bright and inquisitive, elegant and reserved? Julian's mouth opened and closed. I... I don't... Elizabeth laughed. <laughs> My brand of spying is mostly acting, young man. I can hide in plain sight if I wrap myself in the right character. She paused to admire the great wrought iron chandelier overhead and the elaborate carved moldings. Stone and forbidding on the outside, the university's interior was all warm, lamplit wood. She smiled. I rather think bright and inquisitive. We can say it runs in the family. With that, she turned to George and Archie. We'll go in pairs. You two are chemistry students, yes? Search the laboratory. You'll know better if anything's amiss. Julian and I will take the east side. Archie and George each saluted once and bounded away, their footsteps echoing off the polished floors. Elizabeth adjusted her skirts, making sure her pistols were within easy reach. Then, she tugged at her sleeves, reassuring herself that she could still feel her throwing knives beneath the voluminous fabric. Last thing, she brushed a hand over her reddish hair. A tiny bottle of poison lay concealed in an elaborate curl, held in place by a pearl-studded comb. Winking at Julian, she folded her hands demurely. Lead on, cousin mine. The halls were mostly empty, classes over for the day. Elizabeth had counted only a dozen people thus far, resident students and professors polishing brass and woodwork until it gleamed, and arranging artful spruce boughs in each room. As an older student moved down the hall, checking the wall-mounted kerosene lamps, she hissed in Julian's ear. No electricity for this event. They tried, Julian whispered back, but one provider's too busy. The other is too far away. Pity. I wish Sir Daniel could have arranged something, just so that people could see, and— He trailed off, biting his lip. Mrs. Sinclair, dear cousin, she said patiently, stick to the script. Dear cousin, I've an irrational thought. Yes? She left off scrutinizing the high windows for lifted latches. 
The young man's brow was knit, and he couldn't meet her eyes. Julian. What is it? The young man exhaled. <sighs> it's only... As near as I can tell, the dirge book contains offices for the dead. And... And have you heard of the university ghost? Elizabeth cast Julian a sideways glance. A flush was creeping along his neck. Tell me, she said, keeping her voice gentle. When they were building this place, forty years ago, there were two stonemasons, Ivan Reznikov and Paul Diabolos. They carved some of the gargoyles outside. Anyway, Diabolos stole Reznikov's lover. They fought. Reznikov was killed. Julian shivered. They... They say his ghost still wanders the halls. It's completely illogical and unfounded, I know, but... But what if Reznikov's ghost has something to do with the theft? As Elizabeth searched for something appropriately encouraging to say, Julian's blush deepened. Illogical, I know, he repeated. Let's look for a human scoundrel first, Elizabeth said, patting his arm. Easier to catch than ghosts, I think. He nodded, staring at his shoes. There's more classrooms down that wing, he mumbled. I'll make sure they're empty. Elizabeth nodded. Let him recover himself a bit. She leaned against the wall and consulted her pocket watch. Five past seven. They had just under an hour to finish checking the east wing. Then there was the bell tower, too, and the boiler house out back, and she intended to leave sufficient time for both. A sudden, cold draft sent gooseflesh down her neck. Instinctively, she withdrew from the wall, scanning the line of windows above. All shut. Sliding one of her knives into her hand, she glanced up and down the corridor. Nothing. Hello? She added just enough tremble to keep her alias believable, enough force to show she couldn't be jumped. Is anyone there? With a great, rushing sigh, every lamp in the hallway extinguished. Her heart leaped. Palming her other knife, she pressed her back to the wall. Her breath sounded too loud, too ragged. The sleeting rain had not abated outside. Without moonlight filtering through the windows, the corridor lay in darkness. Mrs. Sinclair? She jumped. Her hand clenched around the knife handle. Julian? Hang on. She heard rustling. Light footsteps. Julian's hand landed on her shoulder. At least it wasn't shaking. Poor boy seemed to be keeping his head. This way. She replaced her knives and he led her back the way they'd come, towards the university's main entrance hall. Once they were back in the lamplight, Elizabeth exhaled. We need to tell Sir Daniel. Mrs. Elizabeth. In one of the classrooms. I, I saw him. Now Julian shook, fruitlessly straightening and re-straightening his cravat. Ivan Reznikov. He, he still had his stonemason's hammer, and, and blood everywhere, but I could see right through him, and, and... He broke off, his eyes going wide. Please, don't make me go back there. I can't. I won't. I'm sorry. I know I've let you and Sir Daniel down, but... Elizabeth's chest ached. He was shuddering, tears standing in his eyes. Suddenly, he reminded her all too much of her young daughter. Gently, she lifted Julian's chin so that he met her gaze. 
Julian, she said. It's all right. The ball starts soon. I'm going to fetch a light, and then I'll continue searching. I'm concerned about the boiler house, Julian blurted suddenly. Too many places for people to hide. There are steam tunnels that go under the entire building. They all meet there. If there was someone in the East Wing, I wouldn't be surprised if they've gone under the college. They could be on the west side by now. You should go there. All right. You get back to Sir Daniel. Tell him what happened. Make some tea. She cupped his shoulder. I'll be fine. What will you say if anyone finds you? Elizabeth grinned. That I wanted to see the famous Convocation Hall for myself, but... Good heavens, I took a wrong turning somewhere. Silly me, it does happen sometimes. She laughed. I've gotten out of tighter scrapes. You students don't exactly inspire fear. Julian smiled at that. I know. Good luck, Elizabeth. She waited until he was halfway up the stairs, then strode down the hallways. Lifting a hanging lamp, she hesitated. Quick check in the boiler house, she muttered. We might have scared someone into going underground. And so, instead of turning right, she followed the hallway left. Slightly more chatter came from this end of the university. Students clustered in small groups, immaculate in frock coats and white gloves. Somewhere, a violin was tuning. It was too lively, too mundane. No place for a ghost. I've seen many peculiar things, but never a phantom. Not yet. Just as she reached a small, narrow staircase descending to the basement, and presumably the steam tunnels, a boom like thunder rolled through the university. The students ahead of her stopped chatting. One glanced to the windows. Didn't realize the storm was that bad. Catching sight of Elizabeth, he grinned. Don't worry, ma'am. Nothing to be scared of. Despite her heart hammering against her ribs and corset, she forced a smile in return. Show nothing on the outside. Hide in plain sight. She was a professional. And so, she forced herself to walk, quickly, back to the main foyer. On finding it deserted, she hiked her skirts and pelted up the staircase to the university museum. The door was already open. She slowed, closing the final distance with cautious, measured footsteps. Papers carpeted the room, torn and scattered about. A desk had been shoved to one side, half its drawers spilling out. Overturned ink bottles bled into a large black pool on the floor. George and Archie sat slumped against the display cabinets, their eyes closed. A gash on George's forehead trickled a thin rivulet of blood. The breath hardened in Elizabeth's lungs. She took a step forward, and the heel of her boot crunched on broken glass. She swiveled. The cabinets on the other side of the museum lay in shambles, their glass smashed in. Julian stood before the case of bones, a large leather-bound book resting in his hands. He turned, evidently unconcerned. Elizabeth's pulse settled to a hard, fast tattoo. No. Control her anger. Get it sharp and neat as the point of a knife. Only then would it be useful to her. Julian, she said. Where is Sir Daniel?
Behind the desk. Behind his thick spectacles, Julian's eyes glinted. He's unhurt. A low moan rose from that corner of the room, testifying that Sir Daniel was indeed alive. Elizabeth hurried around to the desk's far side. Sir Daniel sprawled behind it. Ink splattered his waistcoat and snowy beard, and a bruise blossomed on his cheek, but she saw nothing worse. With a calm born of long years' practice, Elizabeth helped the aging professor to an upright position. Then, freeing her pistol, she cast Julian a long, cool stare. "'What on earth are you doing?' "'You know, cousin mine, we neglected to sort out details of our family history.' Julian's voice remained low, pleasant. The distracted mother, the absent father, rather like your own, isn't it? Running all over the empire in service of the ministry. How often do you see that daughter of yours? She nearly shot him right then. Don't you dare. Sir Daniel caught her arm. Please, Mrs. Sinclair, he's a student. Julian laughed. <laughs> ah, yes, your brilliant student. Brilliant, but hamstrung. There are such riches in this university, Mrs. Sinclair. Things we can scarcely imagine. A treasure trove of our own history. And yet, it is hoarded. Never shared, never discussed. Unimaginable artifacts, texts, artwork— moldering to dust. My dear boy! Sir Daniel struggled upright, gripping the edge of the desk for support. They're dangerous! Julian snorted. You're afraid! Nothing more! With the right precautions! He hefted the book. What discoveries await! What fame! You want a name for yourself! Elizabeth's anger coiled tighter, hotter. I trusted you, Julian! His thin-lipped smile chilled her. I can hide in plain sight if I wrap myself in the right character. And I'm afraid I've been slightly dishonest about my translation of the dirge book. It's not Offices for the Dead. Not exactly. Checking Sir Daniel, Elizabeth advanced, keeping her pistol trained on the student. Enlighten us, then. After reaching through the shattered glass to caress the monstrous skull— Julian let the book fall open in his hands. His smile broadened. In simplest terms, Mrs. Sinclair, it is a spell book, though I feel the word carries too many inaccurate connotations. A manual of the metaphysical, perhaps. He leafed a few pages ahead. You know, Mrs. Sinclair, this university has been secular since 1850. I think, however, that an acquaintance with scripture remains a necessity for the well-rounded scholar of humanities. Are you familiar with Ezekiel? If she clipped him in the leg or shoulder, she might be able to hold him until help arrived. If she could make the shot. Somewhat? Sir Daniel must be. And behold, there were very many bones in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Stroking the page, Julian continued in a language Elizabeth had never heard, low and sibilant, full of brooding, oily words. The bones quivered in their cabinet, rattling against each other. 
Julian surveyed them with a satisfied smile, and then looked up at Elizabeth. Can these bones live? He asked again, and fear settled like a stone on Elizabeth's chest. His smile twitched. I rather think they can. Holding the book in front of him, he spoke again in that smooth, sly language. The words flowed over and around Elizabeth, never settling long enough for her to catch them. Hisses and guttural whispers alternated in a hypnotic, relentless rhythm. The pistol clattered to the floor, and she clapped her hands to her ears. The lamps extinguished, exactly as they had in the corridor. Darkness rent the air before her, as though something had clawed the fabric of their world. Tendrils of silver-green fog curled around the edges, stretching towards her like fingers. Elizabeth yelled, flipping one of her knives into her hand, but the mist curved and bent, and passed over the bones. For a moment, the fog simply hovered over them. Then, it settled on the pile like a blanket, wrapping around every vertebrae, sinking into every crack in the great skull. Julian read on, speaking faster and faster, and the tear in space widened even more. In the swirling mist, he was nothing more than a shadow. Elizabeth strained to see the bones, but the shimmering haze covered them completely. Julian's voice reached a climax, triumphantly biting off a final phrase. From the midst of the fog, a low growl answered. The curve of a scaly tail appeared first, smashing the remaining glass and slithering across the floorboards. Then, a thick, muscled foreleg broke through, covered in coarse fur. Lastly, the creature's eagle-like head reared up, its eyes blazing gold in the gloom, and its beak working soundlessly. It was long, lithe, panther-sized. When it moved, it was silent, its body rippling like water. Julian laughed with a too bright, hysterical edge that raised the hairs on Elizabeth's neck. And so I prophesied, and the breath came into them, and they lived. He snapped his fingers. The beast swiveled its head. Its beak opened, and another growl rumbled low in its chest. Across the room, Archie and George's eyes snapped open. For a moment, they simply stared, George gingerly touching the cut on his forehead. And then they both leaped to their feet, pulling guns from inside their jackets. They weren't like any firearms Elizabeth had ever seen. Small, compact, covered with brass tubes and dials. Mrs. Sinclair! Sir Daniel lurched towards her. He held two guns, one in each hand. Each boasted a thick barrel, decorated with a curious array of gears and switches. Just the look of them made Elizabeth feel positively giddy. Sir Daniel, where did you get those? A friend at Moose. Quebec's armory has always surpassed ours. Quel surprise, eh? He tossed her one. They call it a feu follet. I suggest setting five. Elizabeth fired off a shot. A white flash erupted from the end of the barrel, sending dark spots blossoming across her vision. Wood splintered with a sickening crack, and the creature hissed. 
When her sight cleared, the creature was crouched low to the ground, and a ragged hole yawned in the cabinets behind it. That was setting six! Archie yelled. The label's in French! They still spell it S-I-X! Julian glowered. Do mind yourself, Mrs. Sinclair. Sir Daniel has only seen fit to display trinkets out here, but I should like to preserve them, too. Elizabeth hoisted the gun again. Better call that thing off, then. Oh, no. Julian took a few steps towards the beast, hand outstretched. Oh, you are a beautiful thing. The beast's eyes narrowed, its great beak clacking. I say, George said suddenly, is it a bit drafty in here? The mist, Archie yelled. For it had not stopped its advance. The silver-green fog had seeped across the floor, creeping up cabinet legs. Some of the cases it passed over, but it lingered over those containing bones. A dry clacking and rattling echoed through the museum, muffled by the glass. Elizabeth glanced at the nearest display. A stuffed monkey quivered on its branch. As the mist passed over its head, its shining glass eyes popped out, bouncing across the bottom of the cabinet. Elizabeth gagged as fresh eyes grew to fill its sockets, and the monkey began bashing itself against the sides of the case. Nearby, Sir Daniel wailed as a bird thrashed free of its confines, standing upon the bedrock that had encased it, and opening its beak to reveal needle-like teeth. Julian! Elizabeth yelled. Stop this! It's unnatural! Julian's eyes shone fever bright. It's beautiful. Behind her, the door creaked. Elizabeth spun. An ashen man entered, his front rust red with dried blood, and a stonemason's hammer dangling from his hand. Reznikov! George whispered. The former stonemason said nothing, but went straight to Julian moving silently over the glass and debris. When he reached Julian, he stopped. With one hand, he reached out. And then his fingers wrapped around Julian's neck. The student's eyes bulged. Stop! He gasped. Help! Elizabeth didn't think. She acted. Her arm came up, and she fired. The blast slammed into Reznikov's shoulder, knocking him off balance. The resurrected stonemason stumbled, tripped, and fell, right into the vortex still emitting mist. The mist flashed silver as he entered it, so bright that Elizabeth threw her hand up to shield her eyes. His scream was too brief. When she looked again, there was no sign of the stonemason, and the mist still spilling into their world had resumed its placid silver hue. It's a portal, she breathed. Wherever the mist is coming from, whatever's reanimating the bones, Julian's opened a gateway. Sir Daniel glanced to her. He looked pale, and for the first time that evening, his age showed. And it seems we can send them back through it. I believe that beast is the most pressing, no? With her thumb, Elizabeth flipped the dial on her gun from cease to ons. Raising an eyebrow at Sir Daniel, she said, Trust Moose to make a gun that goes to eleven. Seeking George and Archie across the museum's wreckage, she called, On my mark, boys. Mark! 
they fired as one, light and smoke and sound ricocheting off the museum's walls. Even as Elizabeth reeled from the flash and kickback, she heard the beast bellow. When the smoke cleared, it glared at them, claws sunk deep into the floorboards and golden eyes rolling fiercely. It raised itself onto its reptilian hind legs, its lashing tail nearly striking Julian, and then it opened its beak. A torrent of fire gushed out. Though Elizabeth leaped aside, she heard the rush of flame, felt the wave of heat ripple across her skin. The fire caught on the wolf's carved wooden moldings. It crawled from one to the next, devouring the woodwork. The monkey screamed as a ceiling beam came crashing down. Sir Daniel, Elizabeth hissed, you need to get everyone out. But your college is lovely stone outside. But in here, everything will burn. But what about you? I also have friends at Moose. From under her voluminous skirts, she withdrew another gun. Shorter, stockier, with a brass-plated air tank fitted atop its body. Sir Daniel closed his eyes. Please, don't tell me. She pointed it at an intact ceiling beam and fired. With a sharp pop and a rush of air, a grappling hook went shooting upwards, burying itself in the woodwork. She gave the rope a hard yank. It held. Turning to Sir Daniel, Elizabeth winked. Pneumatic rope gun. They call it standard. I say obsession. I swear, you cannot meet an agent of Moose without running into one of those infernal devices. But for all his bluster, Sir Daniel's eyes glinted with worry. Elizabeth, you will take care of yourself. Of course. The smoke was settling in her throat now, tight and scratchy. She suppressed a cough. <coughs> get, whew, get George and Archie out. Come up with a good cover story. A kerosene lamp smashed or something, starting the fire. She backed up, preparing to run. I'll meet you outside. When Sir Daniel said nothing, she gave him a hard look. Go, Sir Daniel. His eyes were streaming now, but she thought that might be the heat, the smoke, or both. George, he shouted. Archie, with me. As they ran from the burning museum, Elizabeth steadied herself. Peering through the haze, she just made out the beast moving its misshapen head from side to side, and heard the click of its beak over the crackling of flame. She ran, her boots thundering over the floorboards. When she judged the given the rope right, she leaped. Her stomach leaped too, swooping with her as she swung through the air, one hand gripping the rope gun and the other her faux follet. As the swing of her arc brought her close to the beast, she raised her gun and blasted again. This time, the shot caught the creature in the eyes. It howled, spitting more fire, its leonine front paws scrabbling at its face. At the end of Elizabeth's arc, the rope went slack. She flew back in the opposite direction, using the opportunity to unleash another round. This time, she caught the beast unawares. Half-blinded, it stepped backwards, tantalizingly close to the portal. One more shot. She fired, but did not look. The flash of mist lit the inside of her eyelids, and the beast's scream sent chills from the base of her skull downwards. The sudden silence was almost worse. Elizabeth let go of the rope gun, 
landing lightly on her feet. She extended a hand to Julian. Come, there's still time. Tears and soot streaked his face. You've ruined everything. You idiot! <coughs> Elizabeth coughed, choking on smoke. Another ceiling beam came down. The monkey and toothed bird were nowhere to be seen, lost to the flames. If they delayed much longer, they wouldn't get out either. Throw that book in the portal and let's go! Julian held it close to his chest. No. Julian! She fought her way towards him, intent on wresting the book from his hands. It's over. We have to leave. Not without this. His shoulders hunched. I refuse to let such knowledge be lost. It should never have been found. Julian gaped at her. How can you say that? Stunned, Elizabeth gestured to the burning museum. Look what it's wrought tonight. You've endangered your university. How much more knowledge have we lost this way? Julian paled, but then his face hardened. I won't leave it. Give me that book! Elizabeth struck, grabbing at the book's cracked cover. Julian swore, pushing her back. With flames roaring around them, wood groaning and falling on every side, they tussled, stepping further and further back. In the chaos, Elizabeth didn't see the mist until it was too late. She felt the cold, clammy touch, like the touch of things long buried and forgotten. By the shocked expression on Julian's face, he felt it too, but he didn't let go. If you want to go home to that daughter of yours, he hissed, you will let me take it. Fury broke in Elizabeth's chest, fiercer than any of the flames. With an inhuman scream, she threw herself at Julian, shoving and tearing at him. He held his ground, poised on the edge of the vortex. In a moment of cold calculation, Elizabeth decided. Instead of going for the book, she focused her efforts on Julian, pushing him into retreat, one step at a time. At the last instant, his eyes widened. Please he whispered. Don't you dare. She shoved him as hard as she could and turned. But before she could step away, his arm shot out and caught her shoulder. Elizabeth screamed, slapping at his hand. But it was too late. He dragged her backwards with him into the portal. Through the mist, she saw the university still burning. And then... Only silence. February 15th, 1890. Sinclair Residence. Toronto, Canada. Sir Daniel, the newspapers say that your students dropped a kerosene lamp, and that's what caused the fire. The small, blue-eyed girl gave him a very serious look. That's not true, is it? Sir Daniel's grip tightened on his walking stick. No, it isn't. Young Catherine Sinclair nodded, pleased at coming to the right conclusion. Just like her mother. But then her face clouded. Sir Daniel, when is my mother coming home? Deep in his chest, Sir Daniel's heart broke. I'm afraid she isn't, Miss Catherine. 
The child's brow creased. Ever? I don't know. Is she dead? He hesitated. No bodies found in the charred wreckage. No sign of bones, or portals, or the dirge book. The university's museum and library completely destroyed. An invaluable storehouse lost forever. I don't know, Miss Catherine, but... No bodies. I don't know. Then I'll find her. The child smoothed her dress as though preparing to travel that moment. I'll work for the ministry, like her, and I'll find her. Smiling hurt, but Sir Daniel did it anyway. For Elizabeth. Nine's a bit young, but perhaps in time. I'll wait. Catherine was quiet a moment. Sir Daniel, I haven't got parents for now. Gently, the older man enfolded the girl within his arms. Perhaps, but you have many, many friends. Stepping back, he stroked her cheek. You are your mother's daughter, through and through. My mother was good at hiding. Will I have to hide? Before Sir Daniel could answer, Catherine continued, swinging her legs back and forth. I think I'd like to. It's safer that way. Being hidden in plain sight, just like her. No one will know what I'm really up to. A tiny, devilish grin settled on her lips, one that had no place on a nine-year-old's face. Just watch, Sir Daniel. No one will know what I'm a boot dare, eh? Present Day, University of Toronto, Toronto, Canada. First-year students of University College, U of T, are always unnerved when they learn there's a body in the quadrangle. A few scraps of bone believed to belong to stonemason Ivan Reznikov were discovered after the Great Fire of 1890 and reinterred shortly thereafter. As you wander the college building, pause a moment by the east staircase. Atop the newel, you will find a great carved beast. A beast with the head of an eagle, the body of a lion, and the tail of a lizard. Not quite a dragon, nor a griffin, nor a chimera. The beast's identity and significance have long been lost, but one thing remains clear. The university's secrets have always been kept in plain sight. The end. Born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Katie Brisky has always been a writer at heart. Some of her earliest memories include pounding out stories on her father's, then very cool, now very obsolete, computer. Since then, she has written both prose and plays. Her playwriting includes Key of D Minor, Dracula, the libretto for East of the Sun and West of the Moon, a children's opera, and various scenes and monologues for Black Creek Pioneer Village, Toronto. Her first novel, Hepex was published by Dragon Moon Press. It is also available as a free podcast. Katie is currently enrolled in the Stone Coast Masters of Fine Arts program at University of Southern Maine. She is also working an internship at Imagine That Studios and is a freelance editor at One Stop Writer Shop.
Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order The Diamond Conspiracy. Now available everywhere in your favorite bookstores and online in print, digital, and audio. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.